All right, thank you. Well, good morning. How are you all today? Good. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we've still got a few things going on in preparation for lunch after, and so I hope that uh, you're going to stick around and stay with us. We do have um, a few things going on. Uh, we're hoping to have some burgers and hot dogs ready for when we get out of here. Um, I've not been given very long to talk to you, so I'm going to do my best um, today. I will tell you we've got a couple of tournaments that you can be a part of, and that is we've got a cornhole tournament, and I'm going to let you know right now we've got some teenagers who think they're something. And so some of you that have been playing cornhole since before they were born, I'm going to need you to team up and show them what's what. Can I get an amen? All right. I have four $25 gift cards. I know, big spender. That's like money, 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 right? Not really, but um, so the winner of the cornhole tournament and the winner of, we also have spike ball. So the winner of the spike ball tournament, um, the, they're, each are teams of two, so we've got two gift cards for each, whoever wins those. So we'll do that after. We've got some stuff for kids. They're going to be painting faces, and um, some of the adults when we get their faces painted. Go for it. Um, we also are going to be decorating some pumpkins for the kids and and we have some um, gifts for the kids as well. And let me just call out some people that have worked hard on this. So my wife, Deidre, she's back with kids right now. She's been working hard on this. Uh, Stephanie Eskridge put together a lot of our stuff. And she um, has a messed up foot. So she's been doing all that in some pain. So we're appreciative of her. Ken Brown's going to be grilling. He's bringing a bunch of stuff. And then for all of you who have, are bringing something or helping out, um, in any way, Marie's out there, I think, helping out and doing some things, and uh, we've got several people helping. I can't name everybody, but um, the table was meant to be a, a, an opportunity for us to spend time getting to know one another, and in two years of, of social distancing, it feels a little weird sometimes just to sit and talk with people, though I, it's been fun to watch. It seems each Sunday, people hang out longer and longer, so um, this is an opportunity for you to meet some people you haven't met before. And I hope, you, I hope you'll see somebody you don't know and that you'll go and talk with them because um, that's what this is all about. And for some of you, you're already thinking, well, if I have to talk to somebody, I wish I hadn't come. And I know that's the way some personalities are um, that just like, I'd just rather just sit by myself and everybody leave me alone. But I'm telling you, everyone feels a little more like that now than they ever have. So I want to encourage you just to go sit with somebody, talk with them. We have one long table that we're going to sit at. And if we need to bring more chairs in, we will. Um, and it's going to be a good time. So I hope you'll hang out with us and be with us. We do have lots of things coming up, ways that you can be involved over this Christmas season. Um, Scott mentioned those. I'm super excited about our our combined Christmas our combined youth Christmas party. We've got um, I think five of our Red Bank churches are going to be participating in that right now. But we've got a couple of more that I think are about to jump in or more. And we really think that as time goes by, it's going to take off. So we're it's going to be it's a great time for them to meet some new folks to be in a larger group of people. Um, also, we've got some really wonderful churches in our community, and it just gives us an opportunity to build relationships with them. So um, that's going to be December 4th. hope you'll do that. And I think one thing we didn't mention was Widow's Harvest um, is going to be November 20th, 20th, I think is right. Um, the 21st is a Sunday, Saturday the 20th. Um, and that's going to be like light yard work and stuff. It'll be outside. We'd love for you to come and participate in that, as well as our Christmas giving stuff. We've got a bunch of stuff that's coming up. 
And we're looking forward to that. We're hoping that COVID stays at bay. Um, and I only have a few minutes to talk to you. I want you to know my dad pulled up today and he asked, he said, do we have to listen to you talk before we can go eat? So if you want to know what's wrong with me, that's it. That's it. Why am I, why does Mark seem a little off? Well, there you go. All right. No, but we're glad that mom and dad are here with us today. And some other friends I know would not want me to introduce them that are sitting right by my mom and dad. Um, <laughs> So I won't, I'm not going to say anything about them. But um, I did want to just share um, about, I've got three parables I want to share with you in about ten minutes. Mm. I'm actually just going to share one. So this series we're in is the gospel. And the reason we're doing this series, because if you come to church, like you know the gospel, right? Like why are we talking about this? We know this. We, there, we can sum it up in a couple of Bible verses and be done with it. Why are we spending four weeks talking about the gospel? And the reason is, is because a lot of times we actually miss what the gospel really is. And we talked last week, and if you want to go back and catch up, you can. You can go online, you can go on iTunes. Um, I think it's still on Facebook, and you can, or you can go on our YouTube channel and, and see all these things. Last week we talked about the reality that the gospel um, is more than Jesus came in the form of a man he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and he went to heaven. If we believe in him, we'll go to heaven too. That's what most people would say the gospel is today. Uh, that is not how Jesus talked about the gospel. Uh, those are important parts of the gospel, and here we do not deny any of those things. Jesus was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Jesus did come in the form of a man, fully God, fully human. Jesus did die on a cross. He died. Heart stopped beating. Lungs stopped filling with air. He was dead. Three days later, he walked out of the tomb, conquering death, conquering hell, giving us an opportunity that we could know God. Yes, all those things are true. But that's not actually how Jesus talked about the gospel. Jesus talked about the gospel in the sense of the kingdom of God, which was coming to be with us now. Not just with us later, but the kingdom of God is now. And he used a lot of parables to describe what this kingdom of God is. So what I want to do is I want to look at one one parable in particular. Um, it's one of the three lost parables. Now, the three lost parables are the lost... Do you remember what they are? The lost... I'll give you one of them. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. I don't know who said that, but yes. Those are the three. Yes. The three lost parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or what we sometimes call the prodigal son, or usually call the prodigal son. Interestingly, when we follow the parable of the prodigal son, we usually focus on one character, and that character is the younger son that the parable is named after. But I want us to look at a couple of other parts of this parable that are important about understanding what the kingdom is. We're going to do a, a different parable next week, but also talk about how does this thing spread, and who does it spread to? But today I want to come through here and I want to look through this. Last week we talked about the kingdom of God or um, sometimes the Bible, depending on your version, will interchangeably use the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. And even Jesus himself at times would say kingdom of God and sometimes he would say kingdom of heaven. But last week we talked about the fact that it's not just somewhere you go. It's something that is coming here. And in fact, Jesus announced that with him it already is here. The kingdom of God is here. Now, we talked about this idea of kind of the multiverse, right, last week, where you've got the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, and we have different periods throughout history in which 
they were together. They were united in the Garden of Eden. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth were one. And then sin entered, and uh, Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity were kicked out of the garden. So now we have a separate kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, and yet still they would at times overlap. They overlapped through the tabernacle and the temple, where in the Holy of Holies, God's presence would actually live there. It was significant that when Jesus died, the curtain ripped from the Holy of Holies, symbolizing this is no longer the place in which God would intersect with our world. He also intersected with Jesus. Jesus was God. Jesus was man. And then today, we experience this intersecting of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth uh, through the Holy Spirit in believers today. So now, God lives in each one of us, and we are in this world. And what he's been calling us to is to return to living for, towards, and in this kingdom. In fact, when we talked about the uh, Lord's Prayer, this, how does it begin? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, bring your kingdom here in which many people experience but you have the opportunity to live in this world and not experience that. That's where we have the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son. So we're going to look, if you've got your Bible, in Luke chapter 15. Um, I want to share just a few things with you. I'm gonna, we're actually going to read it again, um, and I'm going to share a few things with you, and then we've got one more song and we're going to go eat. Um, Luke chapter 15, beginning verse 11. He said there was a man who had two sons. Now, whenever we talk about sons, uh, generally when they're using a story between a father and a son, talking, uh, talking to a Jewish audience, the father is usually, who would you guess? God, and the son would be then, who would that be? Not Jesus, I'll tell you that. It's not Jesus. It's like an Old Testament Jewish thought and culture. Son would typically be Israel. Now we tend to read that as us, but remember, Jesus has not yet, Jesus is the one telling this, he has not yet died on the cross, he has not yet risen from the dead, the new covenant has not yet been established, we are in this place where we're still, Jesus is speaking to those who are being observant Jews, or even calling people who are not observant Jews back to their faith. So often when we read this parable, what Jesus is saying to his audience, while we can fully read ourselves into this after the new covenant comes in. He's talking about God and Israel. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, when we read this story, we have these two sons. And um, if we stop the parable here, this is a very similar telling to the other two lost parables. There was something that was lost. There was a great search for finding this lost thing. But when the lost thing was found, there was great rejoicing in heaven. The coin was found, and there was great rejoicing. The, the shepherd left the 99 sheep to go find the one who was lost. And when he found that lost one, there was great rejoicing. There was a man with two sons, and one of the sons decides, there's another life that I want, all that you've given me, all that I have. It's just not enough. I want more, so I want you to give me everything I would ever get in my inheritance, and I'm going to go pursue this better life that I think is out there. And he goes and he pursues this better life apart from his father, what his father has done for him, and he finds it's not that great. And so he comes back, and there's this beautiful reunification of father and son, and we have the father running out and embracing his son, which gives us all kinds of interesting pictures of what the kingdom is and what it means to enter into the kingdom. Now certainly we can read ourselves into this story, and and for many of us we see a prodigalness in our own lives, right? Where we've kind of walked away and then we came back, or maybe we've walked away, we're in the process of walking away, and we're thinking of coming back. There's a lot here, depending on how you grew up and what you learned about God, that the picture of two things in particular are things I want us to look at. One is the picture of the father, and one is exactly what was the younger son going after. Because we don't really know. We know it's like he wants to, to go and live up the high life, and we know whatever he goes to spend his money on, he squanders it. It's gone. It's wasted. It's just he takes everything, and in no time whatsoever, he has nothing. Now, some of your translations will say that he went and he got hired by a Gentile. He was in the land of the Gentiles, which matters if we understand he's speaking to Jews. To those who God had given the promised land, who had said, if you will follow me, I will, I will be with you. I will be your God. You have a future and you have a hope. And then they would turn away from him and they would leave and he would be like the Gentiles to him. We'd be separated from God. Some of our history of learning about who God is and what does God want from us and what does God want for us grew up with a very angry, judgmental God who was waiting for us to mess up. And so in that telling of the Gospel, there's a change that must happen within us that's not actually evident in the younger son in this story before we can ever come to God. You've got to clean ourselves up. Has anybody ever kind of come up and did anybody come in that kind of a system? I clean myself up before I can go before God. There's a lot of people who believe that, whether that's true or not. There's a lot of people who think that's exactly what the gospel is. Like you get your life together and then you can present yourself to God and then maybe you'll be able to go to heaven if you live a good enough life. And yet, that's not what we see in any of the parables. It's not what we ever see Jesus saying either. So what is this interesting dynamic that we have happening between the Father? 
Do we have a picture of a father who is just waiting, just ready for the son to come back, to tell him, I told you you shouldn't have done this? You've got already had all that you're going to get. You're not getting anything more from me. We're, I'm done with you. Of course not. We don't see that kind of God. And yet sometimes within each of our own hearts, we approach God as if that's what he's saying to us. Messed up. Again. God surely can't forgive me again. Surely God would not want me to come back and be a part of his family again. We have a picture of a God who's just waiting on the front porch, waiting and looking for their child to come back. And when he does, he runs out and embraces his son, gives him again all the things that's not even his anymore because he's already had all his inheritance and it's gone. But he gives him more, welcomes him into the family. What does that say about God? What does that say about the God, the picture that we have in our own minds, the picture we have in our own hearts? What we fear God is thinking when He thinks about us. It is similar to the image of God standing at the door and knocking, waiting to see if we're going to open the door. Which is an interesting picture of God because this seems like a picture not of someone who is an ultimate king or creator or the ruler of the heavens of the earth, but someone who's a little bit desperate to be in relationship with someone. That's not the kind of God we tend to like. We tend to like the big, strong, bold God who will avenge those who have suffered and He will take revenge on our or His enemies. But that's not the picture we get of God. There's a man who's been wronged standing on his porch looking every day for his lost son and when he sees him, he runs And embraces him. This is the picture of what it means to accept the gospel. This is a picture of what it means to know him. Just like these other two parables, we could stop there and we could be good with this story. But the story actually goes on. It goes on in verse 25 and says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now who is this older son? We'll get to that in just a second. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. This is the picture many people have of God, is the older brother, not of the father. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I I, I never disobeyed your command. Yet You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this is your brother who is dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, if I were to ask you, which person in the story do you see yourself as? Most people, I hope nobody would say the father, although certainly there are times you may feel this way with your kids. Most of us would say, I see myself as the younger son, as the prodigal. I'm the one who squandered, who wasted, who had to come back. But if I'm honest, sometimes I see myself as the older son. I don't know if any of you do, but sometimes I feel I'm the older son. 
and prove. Prove you're really back. Well, Paul did this too. Paul, our, our apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, when John Mark said, I need to go home for a while, he, would refu- he refused to let him come back on the mission field with him again. And this is when Barnabas comes in and he says, well, John Mark can come with me. Because Paul was like, no, I don't trust you. You're, I'm done with you. One of the things we have to be careful, we don't overly glorify people other than Jesus in the New Testament as if they are without sin themselves. But sometimes we do that. Prove to me. And when we do that to others, what we say to those who don't know God is that this is exactly what God's going to do for you too. Prove to God that you're better than you really are. The father never does that. So who is this older son if the story, if the younger son in this story is likely Israel, of course us, as the gospel goes out to all humanity, not just to the Jews. The younger son is Israel, likely the older brother are the priests. The religious leaders. And if we understand the older brother in those terms, their behavior makes more sense when they're trying to question Jesus because this, this message of radical grace and mercy is one that they can't stomach because what they need to do is become better Jews adhering to the law. And we're here. We're doing everything that we're supposed to do. And of course, we'll find that Jesus is dealing with the older brother throughout the rest of the New Testament, he will say some really harsh things to them, like, you do these things to be seen, but you don't really have the heart of these things. It's really an interesting parable when we dive down into it. What do we take out from this? Because next week I want to talk about, well, who does the kingdom reach out to? And sometimes it's not the people that we think it does. Number one, the messages we get out of this parable, the kingdom of earth always seems more tempting than the kingdom of God, but it always promises more than it can deliver. The kingdom of earth draws us. Oh, you don't have to do those things. or You can do whatever you want. The earth is whatever you want it to be. Your life is whatever you want it to be. I, I, I know they say those things aren't really healthy, But if you think they're healthy, then you can go do those things and they're just perfectly fine. It draws us and it beckons us until we get caught in the trap and we realize this isn't much life at all. The kingdom of earth always seems more tempting than the kingdom of God, but it always promises more than it can deliver. And I think one of the reasons it's more tempting is because it's right in front of our faces. Constantly in front of our faces. The kingdom of earth is about ourself. The kingdom of earth is about our own sense of good and evil. The kingdom of earth is about um, whatever we want is good. And whoever doesn't want us to have what we want is evil. That's the kingdom of the earth. And it's very hard to live in relationship with people when we're all trying to get our own. And I want to make sure I'm taken care of and I'm going to need yours so I'm taken care of. It's really hard for us to live in community when it's constantly about me and you're constantly about you. But that is what our base core instinct is when we live in the kingdom of the earth is to take care of myself. Another message we get out of this story, which I I think is just such a misunderstanding of what the gospel is for many of us, is 
repentance is choosing and experiencing a better way, repentance always feels painful, doesn't it? When we talk about repenting, it's like, I don't, oh, okay, God, I repent. Oh, this is so uncomfortable. And yet for the son, repentance is saying, this stinks, literally. Maybe I can go home and be a hired hand. And he goes home and he says, God, forgive me. Or, Father, forgive me. Repentance is choosing something better. Sometimes repentance can be difficult because our hearts tell us one thing. God tells us another. Repentance is choosing a better way. We're choosing God and we're choosing each other because choosing God is choosing other people too. It's the loving ourselves. It's the loving our neighbors as ourselves. And it's loving God, which Jesus says is what it's all about. Repentance is choosing and experiencing a better way. So why is repentance so hard? And it's so hard for, and especially for us in the South, because we want people to think we're better than we are. And I think it's because we haven't let the gospel really take root within us. Why is confession so difficult? Because we don't want people to think poorly of us. And yet God says confession is freedom. And yet I hold all of my darkness in. I hold all of my sins in, and we hold it in. Repentance. It's not something that's just supposed to be an act of the will that's hard and you say, oh, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, but if I don't do this, God's going to be mad at me. And no, repentance is, ah, oh, this stinks. I'm ready for a better way. I'm going for that better way. This is part of my story that I've shared. When I was 15 years old. I, I was doing everything I could to fit in, and I found this, this life stinks. <laughs> There's got to be a better way. So repentance for me was saying, God, forgive me. Will you accept me? He did. Just a beautiful picture also because God in this story is an anxious father waiting for us to return home. Remember we talked about Paul and the good news. He says, how beautiful are the feet of the good news. But he was remember who was he quoting? You remember? Isaiah, and Isaiah was prophesying. He was foretelling the future when he said there's going to be a time when Israel is going to be released from our captivity in Babylon, and they were when Assyria eventually overtook Babylon. And Isaiah said, how beautiful will be the feet of those who bring the good news that we get to go home to the land that God gave to us. And then we read later Nahum, who's actually living at the time when the Assyrians conquer the Babylonians, and they let them go home. Nahum says, how beautiful are the feet of those who are coming to tell us we get to go home. For us, that's what we are longing for is home. God is an anxious father waiting for us to return home. Not one who is waiting to punish us, but one who is waiting to embrace us. How do we communicate that to others? So for this parable, what I want to leave you with is simply this. I'm going to leave you with a picture of this Creator, this Ruler, this Savior, this King of heaven and earth. This One who with a word spoke everything into existence. Who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. The Creator of heaven and earth is a Father that stands on the porch and longs for His children. 
the King of heaven and earth is a, a King who is waiting for you to come to Him. This is a picture of God that is exciting for me. And this is what Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like and what it's like for someone to receive the kingdom of heaven. But as we mentioned last week, it's one that we each must choose for ourselves, right? It's not something that God's going to force on us. Because even though we see this as a better way, not everyone sees this as a better way. This is one of the reasons that suffering is a part of our existence. Why God let us suffer when we were kicked out of the garden was because He knew that it was through suffering that we would see the world that it's not as shiny and wonderful as it tells us it is. It doesn't mean there aren't good things in the world. It doesn't mean we have to completely, you know, we need to build a commune up in the mountains and then we never go out and inter- interact with the world. It means we're constantly looking for something better. And in the case of the younger son, he was looking for something better. And he found it. In the case of the older brother, he was not happy that the younger brother was welcomed. What we don't really see is what happens with the younger brother later, but we know that Jesus' harsh words for those that the older brother represents are pretty harsh. But as we continue today, we're going to do one more song of worship. As we spend time with each other, this part of this better way is that we do life with each other. A lot of everybody's going to do life with other people, but we do it a little bit differently. I want to encourage you to find somebody today that you don't recognize and talk to them. You're like, I don't know what to say to them. I don't know them. You know, one of the universal ways to talk to somebody else is just to say something encouraging to them. Ask about them. How are you? Tell me about yourself. If you've noticed them doing something, uh, serving in kids, serving on stage, or you just see, you know, walking around, being encouraging to others, there's always something we can find to say, you know what, I'm just so thankful for you. We can learn from each other's life stories. We can lean on each other if we're going through difficult times, as many in this room are going through difficult times. And we can do that in a way that is different. We can do that in the way, and Jesus says, the greatest of all the commandments is that we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and that we love each other. We're going to spend some time doing that today at lunch. We're going to do some, have some fun. Kids are going to be able to play on the bounce house. We're going to, we're going to play, and some of the adults might too. Yeah, okay. Some of the adults might too. We're going to, we're going to, um, Play cornhole and we're going to paint our faces, some of us. <laughs> and we're going to spend time reminding ourselves that life is greater with each other. All right? I want to pray with you. We've got one more song, and then we're going we're gonna to go and have some fun together. Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that in, in spite of all my failures and the ways that I've chosen my way over your way and I have thought this way is better. But you have just you always welcome me back. I pray if there's someone here today and they're struggling with that. It's a picture of you being angry, a picture 
of you holding back and not wanting them to return. Instead, they will see this beautiful picture of you on the porch just waiting, scanning the horizon, looking for any sign of the one who is not there. By simply turning back to you, you come running. Don't even wait for them to get all the way there. You come running and you embrace them. You rejoice because what was lost has been found. Father, I pray that in our relationships as we go out, we will be so taken by this picture that this is the picture we'll share with others that in our own relationships with those even that we may disagree with, we can still love them. Father, I thank You for the relationships that are represented in this room and, and in our kids' ministry and in those who can't be with us today. Father, we thank You that You've brought them into our lives. Help us to share that with each other. Father, I thank you for the food we're about, for all those who have worked to, to just give of their time, give of themselves to, to make this happen. I pray that you would bless this food so that as we eat it, it would nourish us and that we would be strong and able to continue to be your kingdom in this world. I thank you for your love, grace you've shown us. I ask all this in Jesus' name.